heard of Colonel Walter E. Kurtz? Your mission is to terminate the Colonel's command. Terminate? Terminate with extreme prejudice. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lug It Up podcast. This is your host, Elias Rouch. This podcast is sponsored by ElisRouchMedia.com. Photo, video, digital media production. Today we are discussing a classic. A classic a lot of people have talked about for many years. um, Both in the film community, outside the film community. Apocalypse Now. Specifically, the Redux. Uh, let me kind of give you a little bit of insight about what Apocalypse Now is, and then I'll kind of introduce you what the Redux is. Apocalypse Now is a 1979 American epic psychological war film directed and produced by Francis Ford Coppola and starring Marlon Brando, Robert Duvall, Martin Sheen, Frederick Forrest, Albert Hall, Sam Bottoms, Lawrence Fishburne, and Dennis Hopper. The screenplay co-written by Coppola and John Mullis with narration written by Michael Herr is loosely based on the 1899 novella Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad with the setting changing changed from late 19th century Congo to the Vietnam War. The film follows a journey from South Vietnam into Cambodia undertaken by Captain Benjamin L. Willard, who is played by Martin Sheen, who is on a secret mission to assassinate Colonial Kurtz, played by Marlon Brando, a renegade army special forces officer accused of murder who is presumed insane. So uh, let me kind of back up a little bit and tell you why I decided to jump into the Apocalypse Now review uh, kind of out of the blue. Well, um, I've been trying to get all the classics. I, my my um, summer and last few months of 2022 has been consistent of going back, checking out all of these classic films, whether it's horror, whether it's uh, big name directors, whether it's uh, stuff like uh, uh, pieces of content like Apoc- Apocalypse Now. Uh, I'm trying to fill in my blind spots of uh, cinematic uh, iconography that uh, I've missed in my, you know, younger days, so to say. I'm, I'm 28, so I'm not exactly the oldest, but I wanted to um, I wanted to experience it the first time. I didn't want to be spoiled on it. I didn't want the experience to be. Um, you know, broken from the inside out. I wanted to experience Apocalypse Now as if it was uh, just now coming to theaters uh, back in 1979. So the Apocalypse Now movie, the original one was approximately 147 minutes. And I believe the Redux, which is what I watched on Netflix most recently, I'm not sure if it's available across the world, so you might have to check your local listings and, and your uh, uh, territories where you're, it's available at. But in the United States right now, the Apocalypse Now Redux is available on Netflix. And that sits at around three hours and 16 minutes last I checked. And it's a, 
it's a lofty, lofty uh, film to say the least. You know, it's uh, I didn't know what to expect. I knew it was a long one. I knew it was a classic. I knew it had some of the most uh, iconography. I can the iconography of the film cannot be surpassed. It's so many other movies have used this film kind of as like a template or like a backdrop or or an homage to it. So there's so many movies that kind of reference Apocalypse Now. Um, I had my cousin in town and we watched um, Triple R together or as a family and they're like oh yeah it's kind of like a little bit of apocalypse now and so i just went back in my head i was like i guess i haven't seen it so triple r was a three-hour movie now i'm watching apocalypse now redux three-hour movie so I, I was kind of training my uh myself to get in these longer films and so i just had it in my head i was like let's watch apocalypse now and i it, the redux was the only one available on netflix so that was the one i watched to be clear, the difference in the Redux is, um, I'll, I'll talk about it more in the spoiler section, but there's a few extra scenes added in the Redux. The Redux of Apocalypse Now was completed, I want to say, in 2001 and released in 2001. And many people say that the original Apocalypse Now uh, movie that was released in 1979 is more superior due to the pacing. And uh, apparently it's, it's not as... Uh, laborious or kind of uh legarious i don't really know how to describe it but i think the the apocalypse now redux kind of wanders a little bit more with the pacing than the original one does now i have not seen the original one so i can't speak on that 100 percent. but i might go back and do uh, a full um or maybe a short review on the regular apocalypse now since we've already seen the redux first but with saying that um it's an amazing experience. I think from the technical achievements that Francis Ford Coppola and team and company and uh, the Heart of Darkness documentary that's happening behind it that was basically shot by his wife at the time um, is, uh, is an amazing feature. It's an amazing story. And I think the story that is on screen is just as interesting as the story behind the screen, you know, behind the camera. Apparently this movie caused people to absolutely uh, lose their fucking mind. You know, people were going insane uh, on set uh, filming Apocalypse Now. Uh, on top of the actors experiencing close to near-death experiences, some of them uh, were waning in madness. Some of them were just uh, showing up unprepared. It's amazing that this movie was even created. Um, and so the music, cinematography, let's go through some of the technicals that make this movie uh, what it is. So the music is a big part of this. Not only is Francis Ford Coppola behind the screen, the Godfather director, as well as, um, I haven't seen all, uh, yeah, uh, the Rain People in 69, uh, co-wrote Patton in 1970. Uh, he's gained most of his notoriety as a filmmaker from The Godfather in 1972. So he had this notoriety really um, at a younger age in his career and uh, won three Academy Awards for that. Uh, best Picture, Best Actor, Best Adapted Screenplay. 
Um, and then of course the Godfather part two, people didn't think it could get much better than that. And then Godfather part two came out and people were like, holy hell. So they knew this guy had, um, you know, some big chops under his belt. I haven't seen the conversation, um, but that's also another piece of notable work uh, of his. But honestly, after watching Heart of Darkness, this is kind of going to be a little bit of a little bit of Heart of Darkness, a little bit of Apocalypse Now review. Um, but based on that documentary, they said that Francis Ford Coppola was thinking about committing suicide because of how this movie was driving him mad. Now, uh, you know, watching watching the behind the scenes and everything, it, it did seem maybe he was a little bit theatrical with how he was acting, but it seems like the level of stress that he was experiencing shooting this film was unlike anything other. Um, and uh, directors like George Lucas of Star Wars fame uh, were telling him, uh, you know, Coppola that, you know, going out and shooting for six weeks in the jungle is completely different with a small crew than going out and shooting in the jungle for 200 plus days, which is what ended up happening with a, a massive, massive uh, film crew. And I believe they said at the time it was about a $31 million budget for 1970. For today, that doesn't sound too bad. But for 1970, I did the math. And I want to say that this, this movie <laughs> cost them approximately, if you adjust for inflation, I want to say about uh, $150 million. Um, and originally, it obviously wasn't supposed to be that high. It, the budget just kept going and going and going through the roof. And um, I think you can kind of tell that through the storytelling. It is It starts off so loud and bombastic. And, you know, we have the dun 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 like we have the flight of the concords of i think it's what's called of you know the helicopters all coming in getting ready to bomb uh vietnam and uh, it's it's what i'd probably call is like a beautiful disaster it's like it's so horrifying and beautiful at the same time it's some weird combination but they they wanted to place the viewer inside vietnam not what it not what it experiences to be but how it felt to be there so let's talk a little bit more about uh behind the scenes obviously we talked a little bit about uh the, the writers john M millis francis coppola narration by michael Herr, produced by coppola starring everyone we listed above cinematography vito Storano he's uh the cinematographer from the conformist uh the last emperor as well and uh, uh many other notable films as well um the was it the the conformist i said uh 1900 reds dick tracy the cafe society wonder wheel um and many more so the music is also, oh, oh, let me talk about the edited, uh, edited by four individuals, Richard Marks, Walter uh, Merch, Gerald B. Greenberg, and Lisa Fruchman. Uh, music by Carmine Coppolo, who is the, I want to say the father of um, Francis Ford. Yeah, he was the father of uh, August Coppola and Francis Ford Coppola. Um, and grandfather of Nicolas Cage and uh, Sofia Coppola 
Roman Coppola, Jason Schwartzman. Wow, I didn't know they were all related. And Robert Schwartzman, as well as the late uh, Gene Carlo Coppola. And they were all involved in the um, uh, kind of the film industry and the acting and the producing. You know, obviously half half those people are still involved in that as well. Um, so quite a legacy of a family of the Coppolas. And like I said, The Heart of Darkness, the documentary on the making of Apocalypse Now was directed by Coppola's wife at the time. So even within the, the spouses, they are um, transferring the creative uh, knowledge and juices and everything else in between. You know, it's just a whole big smorgasbord of creativity coming from this family. So uh, from, from that, it's pretty fascinating, in my opinion. Um Anything else we need to kind of, it was uh, released in the United States on August 15th, 1979, uh, made about a box office of a hundred to 150 million at the time, which is, that's, that's pretty damn good for then. Um, basically got a trip. I think you have to triple your budget to make your money back is what they say. And they did that well, hand over fist. Um, so let's talk a little bit more about Apocalypse Now. The writer, uh, Milius, I think I'm saying that right, became interested in adapting Heart of Darkness for a Vietnam War setting in the late 1960s and initially began developing the film with Coppola as producer and George Lucas as director. After Lucas became unavailable, Coppola took over directorial control and was influenced by Warner Hortzog's uh, Aguiar, The Wrath of God, 1972, and his approach to the material. Initially, it's uh, set to be a five-month shoot. A series of problems lengthened it to over a year, as chronicled in the documentary Hearts of Darkness, a filmmaker's apocalypse in 1971. Sorry, 1991. This pro these problems included expensive sets being destroyed by severe weather. They talked about holy like monsoons coming and destroying half the sets and stuff like that. Brando showing up on set overweight. He was supposed to be in shape. The guy was like a uh, a thespian, but for some reason he just kind of thought he was above it all, and so he shows up and uh, he's out of shape, doesn't know the material, and he just like what the fuck, man? Coppola is just like what are you doing man you're killing me right now so uh yeah completely unprepared uh martin sheen having a breakdown and suffering a near fatal heart attack on location like holy shit like this is insanity um so when photography was finished finally finished the release was postponed several times while coppola edited over a million feet of film and I think they said normally uh, most films have around uh, 11,000 feet of film. So to have a million feet, it's just like exponential. Holy shit. He was, he was probably in the editing bay forever. It, it's weird that he's not uh, listed as a, uh, an editor on here either. Hmm. Apocalypse Now was honored with uh, the Palme d'Or at the, uh, the Keynes Film Festival. Um where it premiered unfinished before it was initially uh, released. 
August 15, 1979 by, by United Artists. Um, it performed well at the box office, grossing over 40 million domestically and going on to gross over 100 million worldwide. Initial reviews were mixed with uh, Vito Storaro's St- uh, Storaro's handling. Sorry, with Vito, I'm just going to call him Vito. Vittorio um, cinematography was uh, widely acclaimed. Um, several critics found Coppola's handling of the story's major themes anticlimactic and and intelligently disappointing. And sorry, intellectually disappointing. Apocalypse Now is uh, today widely considered one of the greatest and most influential movies films ever made. It was nominated for eight Academy Awards at the 52nd Academy Awards, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Duvall, and went on to win Best Cinematography and Best Sound. It ranked number 14 in Sight and Sound's Greatest Films in 2012 and number six in the Director's Poll of Greatest Films of All Time. Roger Ebert also included in his uh, top 10 list of Greatest Films ever in 2012. In 2000, it was uh, selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry of the Library of Congress as culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Now, let's... Um, okay, so it looks like the synopsis I have here does not include the redux uh scene so i'm going to do my best to try to place it in there where it happens um so yeah you basically have the the ins and the outs of the behind the scenes of apocalypse now but what really makes this film tick so really the only things i knew about this uh I knew about this film were the notable performances. I knew Francis Ford Coppola was the director. Marlon Brando was in it, but I really didn't know anything else besides besides that. You know, I knew the horror, the horror, you know, but that was about it. Um, let's hop into the plot for Apocalypse Now. I would give... Without going into spoilers and everything yet, I gave it a flat. Oh, I, a flat. I say that bad. I, I gave it a very solid 8 out of 10. Watching it the first time and watching the redux, I did feel the the lingeringness and the new newly added scenes. Um, it probably would have played a little bit faster for me and less wondrous and mystical, I guess, if those scenes had been taken out and I had watched the original cut, I might have to go back and uh, do a review of just the original cut. But with saying that, you know, if I took those scenes out of my head, um, I'd say that the movie still sits at about an eight out of 10 for me. Some of the emotional ties for me didn't quite connect. Um, But that was just me personally, you know, I, I don't expect that to be the case for everybody. I could see some people saying this is the best thing they've ever seen. Um, I also want to, you know, be clear that, um, you know, I, I've only seen the Redux. I haven't seen the uh, the original film, and um, 
yeah, there's there, there's just certain aspects I didn't love mostly towards the end. And watching Heart of Darkness, it seems that even Coppola didn't even know what the end was going to be. It seems like due to the extreme weather and the sets being destroyed, there was a lot of kind of rewrites happening. And Dennis Hopper and Marlon Brando apparently don't get along, so they couldn't share any screen time together. Uh, plus Martin Sheen almost experiencing a near-fatal heart attack. It's like there was probably a whole nother third party act or sorry third act in in this movie that is never shown mostly probably due to what's happening behind the scene you know brando showing up 300 pounds and then shaving his head the next day of uh filming um that's that's kind of insane um you know having the main actors that are going through this very physical uh you know physical performance of a movie kind of rein it back in on this third act i do got to say the third act does feel like a different type of movie that we're watching than the first two acts we're watching and not in a bad way but it's a lot more subtle stated and a lot more um emotionally thought-provoking as a, as opposed to like emotionally moving I think it poses a whole lot more questions than it does answer them. Um, but not necessarily for a bad reason, but that's why I gave it a solid eight out of 10, mostly because of the connection with uh, some of the, in uh, the characters at the end, I just wasn't there emotionally. Um, but from the cinematography, from the look, the sound, the feel, I don't even know how they got realistic uh, sounds from this. Um, I couldn't imagine shooting in the Philippines, let alone just like some sort of rainforest at all. Like the rainforest, rainforests are loud. Like, I don't know how you get any clean, crispy audio from that without having a thousand tree frogs on the back. Um, you know, the sounds of the rain and the weather. I just couldn't imagine shooting in those types of elements and then trying to get realistic um, sounds from that. So I'm going to give everybody about uh, 15 seconds. I'm going to have a little bit of my coffee and we are going to get into the plot of Apocalypse Now. And I'm going to attempt to add the redux scenes in the review. If I miss them in here, then I'm going to kind of go back and do it. But we'll, do, we'll, do, we'll breeze through it pretty quickly. Ah, yes, I... I had a nice cup of coffee right before I watched uh, Apocalypse Now, so I'm going to need a nice uh, stiff cup of coffee to do the review. And I'm honestly really glad we're doing this review so soon and close to the timing of watching the show, or sorry, watching the movie, because of uh, just experiencing it, remembering it, and kind of regurgitating all of that Um within a couple of days of it makes the most sense to me. Cause if you go weeks and months without giving it a review or kind of analyzing it in your head, it's going to kind of whittle out. It's going to pass by you. It's uh, it's not like it's easy to forget, but there's a lot of scenes in this. See watching this movie so close back to back to like a triple R or something like that. 
um, movie or another movie that kind of takes place in like a a Vietnam type rainforest setting in a way. I'm I'm doing quotations if if you're not watching on YouTube, but you know, kind of like in in a remote area like that. Um, they can kind of jumble in your head, and it's like all oh, it's like is it this movie? Is that movie? So, anyways, uh, it's important that we kind of we talk about it quickly or we talk about it soon to uh, when we saw it. So thank you for listening, watching look at all podcasts. Be sure to check out the social medias and the links in the description to help, uh, help the podcast like subscribe. You know what to do. Um, help the podcast out. Um, we've got some new subscribers on YouTube and I just wanted to, um, thank everyone that is supporting the podcast. We cannot do this podcast without your support. And knowing you like the podcast, um, help me personally, emotionally know that we are doing the right thing. We are providing a service that you actually like. You know, I, I don't want to make something that people don't like, like to listen to, like to learn from, like to uh, hang out with other people and understand and experience those types of, um, you know, experiences. So, uh, yeah. Let me, let me, uh, let me thank Shamble Pants real quick for uh, uh, giving me a pretty, pretty nice comment on Station Eleven review on YouTube. Uh, thank you for subscribing and uh, letting us know that you enjoy the review and like Station Eleven. Station Eleven's uh, one of my favorite film uh, TV shows of the past. Uh, few months and i'd say that go watch it go check it out do all do everything you need to uh to kind of uh experience and involve yourself in all things that are good content the thing about good content is i love having a nice podcast or i love having a nice uh accompanied documentary or behind the scenes type uh experience with it because it, it allows you to experience being in that world longer, being in the apocalypse now world longer or whatever you're watching. So thank you for supporting uh, Mr. or, or Mrs. or non-binary shamble pants. Uh, thank you. We are going to get in to the apocalypse now redux review. Uh, spoilers ahead. And again, normally these podcasts, the this is considered a retro review in my opinion, anything um after five years or before five years is considered a uh retro review and normally the full retro reviews are exclusive to the patreons patreon.com slash look podcast but i feel that the apocalypse now movie doesn't have enough uh, reviews and it doesn't have enough no I, I know everyone knows about it but i don't feel like people really talk about it that often so i'm gonna release this to YouTube and everybody on the SoundClouds and every other podcast that we can do, we can provide it on. Hopefully uh, it'll encourage everyone to check out the Apocalypse Now movie if you haven't seen it and then come back and check it out with us, uh, the review. All right, here is the review for Apocalypse Now Redux. Here's the plot. Here's the plot for the movie. During the Vietnam War, U.S. Army Special Forces Colonial Walter E. Kurtz has apparently gone insane 
and is waging a brutal guerrilla war against NVA and PLAF forces without permission from his commanders. At an outpost in Cambodia, he commands American and Montegard troops who see him as a demigod. Burnt out Mac V. Sog operative Captain Benjamin L. Willard is summoned to L. Field Force headquarters in Na Trong. He is ordered to terminate Kurtz's command with extreme prejudice. Ambivalent Willard joins a U.S. Navy riverboat PBR commanded by Chief Petty Officer Phillips with crewman Lance, Chief and sorry, Chief uh, Chef and Mr. Clean to quietly navigate up the Nung River to Kurtz's outpost. Um, Mr. Clean is uh, played by a very young uh, Lawrence Fishburne at this time. I think they said he was like 14. So let me see what else. Da, 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 da. Okay, so the opening of the movie, it does start very, um, very differently than I was expecting. I was expecting it to be kind of way more hard hitting. I thought it was not going to be quite as, you know, it opens with the doors uh, it opens with you know, you seeing just this the skyline of the the jungle being bombed and all of this like looks like PTSD is all swirling in Willard's head and I gotta say I haven't seen Martin Sheen in too many um, movies recently but I think the last one I I want to say I remember him from was maybe The Departed. And this dude can fucking act. I, I, I mean, I, I might be late to the party on this one, but holy shit, he is acting his ass off to the point of he was going full method with it. I think they said that he was around 36 at the time of recording, uh, shooting this first, um, first scene. And they had gotten him drunk as a skunk. And they basically have him just uh, ad-libbing uh, just all these different actions acting like a fucking weirdo full PTSD burnt out, um, you know, renegade type soldier. Like he's just losing his fucking mind. You know, I not knowing what apocalypse now was and hearing about it and seeing just, you know, clips here and there, I was expecting it to be completely um, gung ho. Yay. America go fight the war kind of thing. Um, and I've only heard through the grapevine how kind of, um, I don't know, shuffled might maybe polarizing might be a better word that the Vietnam War was. And so this movie actually feels more or less like an anti-war movie than it is a pro-war movie. Um, I thought that was kind of the most interesting part about it was the way that they are um, shooting and expressing the the people in command, the majority of them are over the top as hell. Robert Duvall's character literally is destroying an entire beach, an entire village um, coming up here in this next scene, just so that they can get, I think his name's Lance, uh, Lance who is like some sort of professional snow uh, uh, surfer. And he's like, yep, yep, let's just blow them all out, napalm in the morning and jump on in the waves and y'all go have a nice time. You know, like he is 
so over the top that I was getting um, Dr. Strangelove vibes with, um, God, what is that guy's name? Uh, I'll get it in a second. But anyways, uh, I, I was getting, let me see, George C. Scott uh plays a uh, general uh, buck turgeson kind of he and it kind of feels like this over the top acting to the point of like wait a minute am i supposed to take this seriously at all because it's showing it almost feels like a satirical take on generals in the war and you know the ridiculous things they would do just to clear off a beach you know blow off blow an entire village of people away with napalm or something like that it, it was when i was watching this i was like am i supposed to be kind of having like like chuckling on the inside here and there and then like something heinous and horrible would happen to somebody one of the villagers or or get blown away or they'd shoot like a couple ladies and women men and children and stuff like that. i was like this is such a juxtaposition of all these different emotions happening it's like satirical it's a little feels like a little bit of parody but then it also feels like it's uh it's like grounded in real life so i was just very surprised at all the different emotions and the way that it was able to tackle and kind of um it, it, i i think tonally it still works very well because I'm sure there was this over the top general type U.S. general aspect, uh, Turd Ferguson kind of character in um, in real life, you know, war and stuff like that. And so, watching this, I was uh, I was just surprised at how over the top these actors were acting. Um, I think if you were more critical of the movie, you could say that Robert Duvall feels like he's in another movie as opposed to what Martin Sheen is, because Martin Sheen feels like he is a, a soldier going through extreme PTSD, um, you know, smearing real blood on his face and, uh, you know, punching the, wind, the, the mirror, smearing the blood. And the fact is that's really the only time you get to see him alone in this movie. And then that, the rest of that, you have to, you watch him knowing he's kind of unhinged, but he has to basically be the only guy that is, just hinged enough that uh can complete this special force and what's interesting is they have uh harrison ford as one of the uh, uh special force generals i guess that are kind of explaining what the mission is to him and this is kind of before uh, uh ford was really the Han Solo, Indiana Jones character we really know. So it's kind of funny that he's only in this like one or two scenes of the Redux or Apocalypse Now movie itself. I'm not sure if any of his scenes got cut from uh, from the Apocalypse Now to the Redux. I don't think they did. So let's, uh, let's continue. Um, I also wanted to bring it to attention that they have young pictures of Marlon Brando that I think really um, engage the viewer and to be like, oh, it's it's uh, it's the chief. It's the general. It's it's the guy we're going to go after. But then when you actually see him in real life or you see him in full form, bald and heavy set, and he's just really he just looks like you wouldn't want to mess with the guy um, that you're like, holy shit, there is a 
big transformation. And, and, and I think it was smart to have him go bald. I, I don't know what he would have played or looked like if he had kept his hair. Cause it really wouldn't make much sense in my opinion for him to be, you know, uh, long wildly curly hair everywhere it, it feels like because of the character he's playing he's playing way more of not the type of demigod where he's sitting there with you know two sirens left and right of women feeding them grapes and shit like that they, they easily could have done that but it's more of like the the reluctant uh kind of demi guru that they have just staying in a cave and that you know the the people of the, the the people of the tribe will you know look up to him you know but it does feel a little bit uh, uh you know kind of like they're praising the it feels a little bit like they're praising the quote-unquote white man on 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 a level i'm not sure if that was intentional or not like they were like um you know, uh, not sacrificial, but like um, kind of Jesus biblical-esque behavior a little bit that they're kind of looking at him like a Messiah kind of thing. Um, I'm not sure if Coppola was 100% going for that, but I do kind of feel like they were walking the line of that. And I was like, eh, you know, obviously Kurt is supposed to be a bad guy, but then what happens at the end, you're like, I don't know, you're going to walk in that line again. Um, but anyways, we'll talk about that here in a minute um let's continue on so they get uh chief lance mr clean to quietly navigate up the nung river to kurtz's outpost and i gotta say the um the flight of the valkyries with the, the helicopters coming in and everything it's it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And like I said, the most beautiful, terrifying things you've ever seen. Cause you obviously know that these things are coming in and getting ready to just wreck havoc on wreck havoc on uh, a village. And they're not going to give a shit about it. And for some reason, if they fight back, they're like, Oh, look at these savages. Look at these savages. This calls them like the most, the worst names you can think of, I guess that they used to call them like uh, the, the villagers like gooks or something like that. I don't know. They, they, they clearly have a, a line of racism um, and xenophobia that is happening through this movie. Um, that is, it's purposely there. It's not like, uh, it's not like they're laughing at the villagers because I think that there was this sense of respectability to an extent that the crew that was making apocalypse now had with the villagers. I felt like with the exception of how they paid them, I, I think they said in the documentary that the way that the dollar worked in Vietnam was that they would work. They could have several hundred people work for them for a few bucks a day, if not even that. And so that made me a little bit sick to see that they were kind of shortchanging the villagers a little bit in making this. But if if they were paid well, then the, in, in comparison to what the, the rates were going, I guess that works. Because um, I think they said sometimes they'd only pay like one or two dollars a full day to a villager, um, which today would be maybe like five or six dollars give or take but still that's it's not adequate if you're not gonna pay you know I, i'm sure the the hippo laws were completely different back in the day so um let's continue on okay so uh before they reach the coastal mouth of neong they rendezvous with the first squadron in ninth cavalry regiment 
a helicopter-borne air assault unit commanded by Lieutenant Colonial Bill Kilgore. And uh, and he has this fucking... Uh, he, he wants to basically blow away an entire village so that he can go hit the waves, man. And uh, have a little napalm in the morning and uh, a little with his coffee. I was like, the, the, the details um, that this movie provides of just the POV of being inside the helicopter all the way from uh, the lieutenant just drinking his cup of coffee like he's in, like he's enjoying the show i was, <laughs> was like dude this is a little bit over the top and a little bit um like at that point i didn't realize it was supposed to be over the top you, you're kind of watching it until lieutenant uh kilgore comes in you kind of think that this is a really intense drama and then when he comes in he just adds the spice in it that you you understand that this is basically a satirical slant of a character not saying the whole movie is but there's definitely like commentary of this guy is supposed to be over the top so um yeah uh kilgore is initially uncooperative as he has not received word about their mission uh through normal channels but he becomes more engaged after discovering that lance is a well-known surfer the command Sorry, the commander is an avid surfer himself and agrees to escort them through uh, Nyung's Viet Cong's held coastal mouth, which is there's this beach next to a village. Um, the helicopter squadron playing Ride of or, uh, Ride of the Valkyries on loudspeakers raids at dawn with a, na uh, a napalm strike. Before Kilgore can lure Lance out to surf on the newly conquered beach, Willard gathers the soldiers to the PBR to continue their mission. And it's pretty damn funny that, you know, like Kilgore is just like walking around, looking around. He's got his fucking coffee cup looking around. I think he rips his shirt off at one point and there's just explosions happening left and right. Boom, boom, boom. And he's just like so unfazed. And the rest of the squadron is like getting down. They don't want to get shot. They don't want to get blown up. All this crazy shit. And he's just like, yep, yeah, this, this is pretty good weather for the waves, you know? And it's like, whoa. I was like, this is not what I was expecting for Apocalypse Now. I thought this movie was going to be an intense drama, uh, an intense war drama. And it, it starts out as like a mystery, uh, like thinker, like, the the war is almost a mystery psychological war film which is most of the, most of the time i want to say a war film is just a war film you just watch them not want to go to war then they go to war and then they either live or die but this is so much more of the psychological aspect of you know we are in the mind of willard from the beginning and then we are in we are on this like odyssey trip um of you know following them from the flight of the ride of the valkyries all the way to escaping on the boat and then they go on these other missions and stuff like that to eventually go find brando um and so i was just so surprised that i was not expecting this this level of uh, a movie so let me continue on so they basically, uh, th there's two guys out in the middle of the water while there's like 
mortars going off and everything. <laughs> and there he's like, just keep, just keep uh, hitting the waves, you know, hit a wave, you know, get uh, surfs up that kind of thing, dude. And it, it's almost like uh, he's trying so hard to get everybody out on the waves and to go, you know, do whatever he, he doesn't, he misses that uh, Willard and company basically steal his surfboard from the, uh, the helicopter and then run it all the way to uh, a boat where they kind of, uh, they escape from the, uh, the crazy Kilgore. And I, this movie would have been completely different if they kept Kilgore out throughout the entire movies. I'm kind of surprised or wonder what this movie would have been. It would have been way more of a, a comedy if you, if you would have had that character in there, but um, he is such a splash of a surprise in the film love uh robert duvall i had no idea he had this kind of uh uh channel in him every time i've ever seen him like a i think it's like secondhand lions or something like that he's always so serious i was just like uh you know i never saw him you know play a serious over the top kind of part and this is perfect um Let's continue on. The tension arises as Willard believes himself in command of the PBR while uh, Chief prioritizes routine patrol objectives over Willard's. Uh, slowly making their way upriver, Willard particularly reveals his mission to the Chief uh, to Assange's concerns about why his mission should proceed. As Willard studies Kurtz's dossier, he is struck by the mid-career sacrifice Kurtz made by leaving a prestigious Pentagon assignment to join special forces with no prospect of advancing beyond the rank of colonel. And um, I got to say that this voiceover that uh, I believe it's uh, Martin Sheen's voice, it reminds me so much of so many other uh narrations and it's one of the better narrations i've heard in films before it just has a really gravity yeah i can't remember any of the lines at the moment but um he uh he plays it so it feels like we're inside his head it doesn't feel like he's reading off a page at all and so i like just just experiencing that, I was like, this is really badass. I didn't realize there was this sick narration. And uh, so it reminded me of Rorschach on Watchmen in 2009. The, uh, the, the film has a very similar like uh, narration voiceovers, similar to what uh, the Batman this year had, um, 2022. Um, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. So... At a remote U.S. Uh, Army outpost, Willard and Lance seek information on what is upriver and receive a dispatch bag containing official and personal mail. Unable to find any commanding officer, Willard orders the chief to continue. Willard learns through the dispatch that another MACV SOG operative Special Forces Captain Richard Colby was sent on an earlier mission identical to, to Willard's and has since joined Kurtz. And so it's only occurring to me at this point that Richard Colby is kind of supposed to be 
kind of the proxy stand-in for what Lance is going to be, the surfer, who essentially, um, they're trying to put parallel lines between uh, the crazy Marlon Brando Kurtz character and Benjamin Willard kind of morphing into the same character, as well as Richard Colby, Special Forces, Special Forces Richard Colby is kind of the same way, uh, you know, naive and, you know, not really knowing the way as well and, and younger in his days um, as Lance is the surfer. And so we, we do see very much later how they are kind of enveloped in the world. So Lance activates a smoke grenade while under the influence of LSD, attracting enemy fire and Mr. Clean is killed. Um, I do kind of got to mention a few things before Mr. Clean is killed. Um, one of the scenes that is taken out of this that I, I just noticed now um, is that there are this like random show happens. It, it's like they're on this boat. They're on this quote unquote odyssey boat. And this show is, it's just out in the middle of nowhere in the middle of the, uh, the village villages, I guess that there's this giant stage. It feels like this giant American made stage that has room for, I don't know, 200 people in the stands and there is a little uh, uh, platform for people to perform. And so the team goes in the redux, the team goes up this stadium. They sit there, they hang out for a little bit. They have some conversations and a helicopter flies in and you can tell who's on the helicopter because there's a big plaque on it that has the play bunny uh, logo on it. And so, uh, some guy comes out, an announcer guy, and two Playboy bunnies come out of the helicopter and start dancing and performing for the special forces, uh, army guys. And they are just losing their shit. Like, wee! like I, I'm guessing this actually did happen in Vietnam, and I'm sure <clears throat> in other, uh, other wars, they probably had something similar to this type of entertainment. Obviously, now it's just like, yeah, I don't know, it's a little icky. Um, but this was one of the original scenes, I believe, that they had shot and decided to remove, um, mostly because I think of pacing and timing. And I don't, I'm not sure if exactly lended too much, but essentially this plot line comes back later. Um, you know, it, it ends in the army guys just kind of losing their shit. They turn into fucking animals and they're like, ah, hello. And they start going after the playboy bunnies after they, uh, they're dancing for like 20 minutes and they, you know, they're having to escape back on the helicopter while these guys are grabbing at them on the stage, like fucking zombie rapey zombies. Uh, and so I was like, Jesus, this doesn't, this doesn't make anybody look good, honestly. Um, and I, uh, I can see why it was cut, um, but I find it a little interesting. They decided to put it in the redux. Um, so let me see what else we got. Um, okay, so yeah, that happens. I need to make sure. Okay, so yeah, so basically this the second act is very much um, 
a big chunk is taken out for the re, uh, for the regular versus the redux. Um, so the one thing that uh, the other scene that was taken out of the original cut versus the redux was the it was the the Playboy Bunny girls, you know, the old dance they have. But then there is another uh, part where the uh, PBR crew, the entire crew together is comes up on like this really beat up like village and the village is so um, dilapidated at that point that in real life, there was a monsoon that had happened and completely destroyed the sets. And Coppola was like, fuck it, we're going to film anyway. And so they use that to their advantage. And it looks like just everything's destroyed. Everything's destroyed. And the people that are still there are the Playboy bunnies, are this a little bit of crew stuff and um, some uh, materials. And so with, with these materials and uh, Willard, essentially bargains with the people that are there um we'll give you some of our gas if you let us uh uh have your playboy bunnies for a few hours and you think oh god this is not going to be good but it, it's kind of goofy how it's how it's portrayed so in the redux um like i said the playboy bunnies the first show is um is removed but then in the second scene that's removed was this place where the the uh, crew basically gets to see the Playboy bunnies, just them and the Playboy bunnies. And uh, Lawrence Fishburne's like running around the damn helicopter where a chef and another Playboy bunny are like sort of acting like they're doing, uh, not really acting like they're having sex, but they're having some weird foreplay. And she's like, will you act like a bird? Will you act like a bird? And, and chef is just like, uh sure she's like oh my god you're such a big bird i was like that's what it was i was like this is not what i was expecting this is not like any other war film i've ever seen where they'd like you know the, it would probably be just disgusting the women wouldn't like it like it, it's, it's just like this playboy bunny has chef acting like a fucking bird to get her off i was like this is the fucking weirdest shit and i guess like the funniest shit because there's like birds that she takes care of that are in the helicopter and like i said just like the first scene that they're cut from this is cut too because it really adds nothing to the to the movie and it kind of feels like it takes away from about uh the movie as well and so the other thing that was cut i guess there was three scenes in the middle that were cut um uh, mainly for for it was be uh after they hang out with the Playboy bunnies, uh, like like one or two of them do, um, they come up on this boat. And this boat is just this regular boat of uh, Viet Cong civilians. You know, they're not they're not threatening or anything. And then all of a sudden, you know, we have Mr. Clean holding Lawrence Fishburne holding a fucking big ass machine gun on him. And then everybody on our boat is holding machine gun on him. And uh, one of the uh, 
I, well, one of the guys on our team is just like, check under there, you know, check under that thing. What is she looking at? You know, she's trying to hold something and hold something back. And chef uh, is like, she's not holding nothing. She's not holding nothing. And then I think it's Mr. Clean's like fire. And he starts just firing all over the civilians, kills these men, women. I don't think there's any children on there, but it was still pretty fucked up. And they just like kill him right there. And then they were like, well, what was she going after? They look under the little bin and it's a fucking puppy. It's like, oh, God dang it. <laughs> you know, like this is some ass. I was like, all right. So clearly most of our team is not supposed to be that good if they're just shooting people that are trying to save a little puppy. And the little puppy itself was just bizarre in itself. I was like, this feels a little bit hand fisted. And, and ironically, they get rid of the puppy just unceremoniously off screen in between uh this attack that happens um and so i think it's after this is when lance activates a smoke grenade while under the influence of lsd by the way the surfer uh, slash actor that was uh playing lance he said that he was high as balls the majority of the time taking a lot of drugs to you know be the character and he said that he was on speed as well there was just like some random things that he was on um a lot of a lot of crazy shit. I'm sure most of the cast was on some shit doing doing all this, but um so he even says Lance activates a smoke grenade while under the influence of LSD, attracting enemy fire, and Mr. Clean is killed. Um yeah, I'd feel bad more bad for Mr. Clean if he hadn't just shot up just some random people that were undeserving. Further upriver, uh Chief is impaled by a spear thrown at by Montegards and an attempt to kill Willard by impaling him. Uh, oh, sorry. Chief is impaled by a spear thrown by Montegards. And it's kind of goofy how it happens. Not going to lie. It feels like a little bit level of camp where, you know, it's just these oversized, big ass, like tribal spears that they're throwing from like 50, I don't know, 50 feet away. And you're like, um, are those going to do anything? Like they, they clearly don't look like they're, they're close enough to have any harm. They don't have guns, the type of thing, no point in shooting them, but they start, I think they start shooting them and chief gets uh, impaled right, right through the chest, I think, or through the heart um, with uh, a spear. And you're like, damn, that wasn't even necessary. And, and, and you find out by that point that uh, Chief just hates Willard. You know, he's like, this is your fault. You know, this is the reason that this happened is on you. And so he's like laying there with the spear in his chest and he's grabbing Willard's head as he's coming down. He's like, you're coming with me, bitch. <laughs> he's like trying to kill him. And you're like, damn, I didn't know he was he was going to go that hard. He fucking went in. Um, but uh, Willard... Uh, you know, pushes Chief away and he's able to live. Um, but, uh, and it, 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 I mean, most of the time, Chief through the movie while he's driving, he's, they said that he was just ad living, but um, uh, Willard is, is not straight up saying there's going to be tons and tons of danger. He can't exactly disclose where they're going, but they know the further up river they go, the more dangerous they are. Um, so okay so impaling him on the spirit okay so uh chief succumbs to his wounds willard reveals his mission to chief um sorry to chef who is now in charge of the pbr 
that's the crew. The PBR arrives at Kurt's outpost and abandon uh, Angkor Empire compound teeming with uh, Monty guards and strewn with corpses and severed heads. It's said that the set designer was trying to get some realistic bodies to the point where apparently they were paying somebody. I don't remember this in the documentary, but I heard this on the uh, unspooled podcast that they said that they were paying somebody to bring in these bodies. I'm not sure if this actually made it into the film, but somebody was being paid uh, somebody paid a grave robber that was trying to bring in real fucking bodies to this movie. So I was like, wait, what? Is that not a illegal as shit? Is it, why aren't there flies everywhere? You know, I was thinking that the whole time. And I don't think you see flies until like the very end of the film. I was actually surprised you didn't see flies all over the screen. I thought it would just be a nightmare. Um, but I was like, holy shit, they tried to get real fucking bodies? Are you kidding me? Some grave robber was actually robbing graves for this shit? I was like, this is crazy. So, um, yeah, what... Uh, um, okay, so, yeah, the temple, the compound, Monteguards, and strewn with corpses and severed heads. Willard, Chef, and Lance are greeted by an American photojournalist played by um, Dennis Hopper, who praises Kurt's genius. They encounter a near catatonic Colby, who's just like basically not speaking. He's just like completely uh, enthralled. Willard orders Chief to call in an airstrike on um, the outpost if Willard and Lance do not return. In the camp, Willard is bound and brought before Kurtz in a darkened temple. Kurtz kills uh, uh, Chef, preventing the airstrike. And all we, all we see that is, uh, is Chef's head dropped in the middle of Willard's, Willard's lap. Willard is released. And Kurtz lectures him on the theories of war, praising the ruthlessness of the Viet Cong. Um, Kurt discusses his family and asks that Willard tell his son about him after his death. Let me repeat. Kurtz discusses his family and asks that Willard tell his son about. And it's interesting that Kurtz like almost immediately knows what is up. He's like. You all are here to kill me, right? You know, this This is what's going down. That night, as the Monte Guards ceremonies, ceremonially slaughter a water buffalo, which is actually what the real-life villagers were doing. They, they, uh, they didn't slaughter. They sacrificed, essentially. Willard attacks. Kurtz with a machete. Mortally wounded, Kurtz utters the horror, the horror, and dies. All in the compound see Willard departing, carrying a collection of Kurtz's writings, and bow down to him. Willard and Lance sail away. And that, my friends, is Apocalypse Now, the Redux.
So let's talk about this this last couple of scenes in this movie. Um, I love the horror. I love the reveal of Marlon Brando. You know, we've been hearing about him. We've been talking about him, but we don't actually see this character till like what feels like maybe two hours and 45 minutes in, maybe even less, give or take, if you're watching the the regular version of the Redux. Um, but with saying that, I thought this was going to be a massive struggle. I thought this was going to be the the battle of all battles that we're going to have to fight the colonial Kurtz or Colonel Kurtz. And I was I was just like I was not prepared for uh, a monologue and then a stabbing or a slaughtering in like one or two scenes and he's done. He doesn't really put up a big fight in my opinion. I kind of feel like this character knows he wants to die which is why he doesn't want to put up a fight. But I think it would have been a different movie if we would have gotten to the ending faster and we lived with Brando or or, or uh, Kurtz for a week or two. You know, I don't necessarily need them like torturing our main characters or anything like that, but I did feel very much like uh, I did very much feel Coppola struggling to figure out what the ending was. I I actually don't know what the ending of the book is, which kind of makes me want to figure out what, what it is. You know, I might have to go back and check it out. But basically, I was just like, you know, I, I was... I was surprised, you know, it's, it's a bold ending to not have this big bombastic ending. And I know a lot of the behind the scenes, they were like, we start big, we got to end big, but I think Coppola kind of wanted it, but they, they kept taking away the helicopters randomly. They would just uh, keep taking things away from them. And I definitely felt like there was a wispiness of not wanting to go super big explosions at the end. You know, this is not what that movie is about. Um, and I'm kind of glad they did that, but I also do wish that Kurtz had put up more of a fight. I definitely feel like maybe they were like, Martin Sheen just had a heart attack not so long ago. We don't want to put him through something super strenuous, some you know struggle, fight, that type of thing. So they just have him, you know, put the mask on, put the the, the camo on, come out of the water, like, boop, you know, the iconography, iconography of this movie of him just, coming out of the water everyone has seen that and has probably seen it in other movies um triple r being one of them they do that in there um same thing with parts of brando and how he's portrayed as well this the lighting and the cinematography everything about the last act is so beautiful in my opinion i i was i was very surprised about how it looked as a matter of fact looking at it what they said was for the Apocalypse Now Redux, Vittorio, the cinematographer, uh, also returned from Italy to head the development of a new color balance of the film and new, and new scenes. When Redux was being released, uh, Vito 
Vittorio, I, I don't know how to say his name, the cinematographer learned that a Technicolor dye transfer process was being brought back. The dye transfer is a three-strip process that makes the color highly saturated and has consistent black tone. The cinematographer wished to use this on the redux, but in order to do it, he needed to cut the original negative of Apocalypse Now, leaving Apocalypse Now Redux the only version available. Uh, Vittorio decided to do it when convinced by Coppola that this version would be the one that would be remembered, which is kind of ironic because I think most people say that everyone says the original was the one that everyone remembers. So I, I don't know. I guess it really depends on how you look at it. Um, but the, the Redux was given a limited release on August 3rd, 2001. and was released theatrically around the world in some countries, grossing 4.6 million U.S. and Canada and 7.9 in other territories for a worldwide total of 12.5 million. Um, seems kind of low, but if you think about for 2001, that's probably closer to like 20. I'm not sure if it's double, but it might be double at that point. Um, maybe just under. Let me see. if I did, 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 did. So uh, on the Rotten Tomatoes, the film holds a certified fresh 93 rating based on 84 reviews with an average rating of 7.8 out of 10. The website's critics receive consensus reads that additional footage slows down the, for the redux. The additional footage slows down the movie somewhat. Some say the new cut is inferior to the original, but the apocalypse now redux is still a great piece of cinema metacritic uses a weighted average assigned film a score of 92 out of 100 based on 90, 39 critics indicating universal acclaim some critics uh, thought highly of the additions such as ao scott of new york times who wrote up wrote that it grows richer and stranger with each viewing and the restorations of scenes felt left um Richer and Stranger with Each Viewing and the restoration of scenes left in the cutting room floor. Uh, cutting room two decades ago has only added to its sublimity. Um, I did I did kind of forget to mention that there is this like French scene that's kind of right before the very ending um, of these guys go to like this French colony where they don't want to give up any, any sort of uh, uh, way of life, I guess. And so basically the one thing we want to learn is they want to bring their traditions, I guess, to Vietnam. But the problem with that scene to Coppola at the time, based on the documentary, I think was one, he didn't get the direct, sorry, he didn't get the, uh, the budget for it. Uh, so one, he didn't get the budget for the, the French scene um, or compound. And then two, he didn't get, the actors he wanted so he was already in a bad mood about this scene he wanted everything to be precise everything to look and sound accordingly he wanted the temperature of the wine or something to be exactly how it's supposed to be served like it was supposed to be so accurate to the point of like you would have to be from france to even know that this is like super accurate but anyways um, that was the other scene. So it's technically three scenes, two with the Playboy Bunny and one with the French that were, were cut. And I, I totally understand why. Because um, the French scene, I was like, this is not adding anything. And I just kind of felt like uh, it was like, this is, uh, it didn't add anything for me. 
some critics, however, thought the new scenes slowed down the pacing and were too lengthy, no notably the French plantation scene sequence and adding nothing overall to the film's impact. Owen Gilberman wrote Apocalypse Now Redux, his meandering, indulgent art project that uh, Coppola was still enough of a crafts craftsman in 1979 to avoid. Despite other critics still giving, still gave it high ratings, Roger Ebert, longer or shorter, Redux or not, Apocalypse Now is one of the central events of my life as a film goer. So I think that a lot of people agree that maybe the original was... Um, you know, was superior for a reason. It's kind of interesting um, that even with time and having hindsight being 2020, that most people still prefer the original OG cut of um, uh, Apocalypse Now. And of course, you got soundtracks from, you know, The Doors, um, anything from Richard Hansen's uh, Do Long, Ride of the Valkyries, Richard Wagner, uh, but yeah, there was a lot of lot of great, a uh, lot of good in this in this film. I think that is just about it for um, Apocalypse Now. I'll probably be studying Marlon Brando a little bit more in other um, films that he's been in. From Julius uh, Caesar. Uh, Sayonara, um, The Wild One. He's been in, in tons of different uh, films, all the way to Superman as Jor-El in uh, 78, and uh, obviously The Godfather as well. I need to go back and check those out for with the critical A. So um, let me know what you thought about Apocalypse Now and the horror, and the horror, and the horror. Um, what do you think the end of this movie really signifies? In my opinion, I think the uh, the big thing that this movie signifies is that our main character, uh, Willard, had the chance to basically become the crazy Kurtz character. You know, he stands there with the machete, with the stuff on his, you know, camo on his face, shirtless, very animalistic in a way or animalistic might be a little bit the wrong word but you know primal might be the right word he's very much one with the earth and he's he's almost like standing there like you know as the leader of the tribe but they kind of already have a leader of the tribe and he and, and that's not his character i think the purpose is to put him on that pedestal to show he has that power but he decides to put the power and give it back to the people and i think that's what makes this character um great um and of course we do get the wishy-washy at the very end uh you know the face and the water and the and the atmosphere but overall i was just like whoa I was like, this is a very bold ending for it. Uh, such a bombastic and um, suspenseful film. But uh, let me know what you thought about Apocalypse Now, Redux, or the original. I'm kind of, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on both sides right now that I can talk about either. Or the documentary. I went back and watched uh, Heart of Darkness almost immediately after watching the Redux. And um, I just wanted to learn more about this this crazy feature about you know how this actually came to be and it's almost a miracle that it's even existing so thank you for listening watching look at all podcasts
and the horror. The horror. The horror. Take it easy. Subscribe and like and check out all the social medias in the links in the description. Patreon.com slash look at all podcast. Go to look at all podcast.com. Thank you and take it easy.